uh, if you can, turn in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Nehemiah. And I want you to rest your eyes on verse 2. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And then verse 3. And said to the king, May the king live forever. I'm not trying to kill you with this wine. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. You are amazing, inconquerable, inscrutable. You are beyond searching out. Lord, you are a wonder to me and my soul, my soul, shouts hallelujah for the great God who has saved us, who sustains us, and who is ever present even as we stand. We bless you in Jesus' name. The church said amen. 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 Praise God. Praise the Lord. It's good to see uh, Brother Warlow and Sister Angel in the house. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Come on now. Yes, yes, yes. And, and others uh, that we have not seen for one good reason or another. But it's good to have each of you in the house of the Lord. I think I'm going to put the pulpit in the back next Sunday and kind of reverse things. Most of you know that I'm a hospice uh, chaplain. And one of the standard medical and clinical questions I am required to ask every patient if they are conscious and able to speak, are you in pain? Often what happens when you ask that question, the caregiver will say, it's all right. Who better knows if you are in pain more than you? Then the follow-up question would be, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most severe, how would you rate your pain? And then they'll give you a number. Some would say seven, some four, some would say, none of them say, for the most part, 
anything under than, other, under than number three. Then I'll ask, where is your pain? Some will say, it's my back, it's my hip, my legs hurt, or some other part of their body. It hurts me when the room is bright. Could you turn the light off? And as you're leaving, close the, you know, that kind of thing. Um, then I'll ask, um, would you like for me to inform your caregiver, nurse, or doctor about your pain so that it can be addressed? Sometimes that simply means someone needs to be repositioned in the bed, or they may need to be medicated, or it's simply adjusting the shades, or someone may be thirsty. After the medication is administered and the pain is managed, what's interesting is that though they will say, now my pain is three or less, the cause of the pain remains. What the medication treats is the symptoms, not the root cause. The reason your leg is hurting is because you have melanoma, you have cancer. The reason why your lungs are hurting is you have COPD. If that is your end-staged life diagnosis. And so sometimes what we misunderstand is that medication does not eliminate the cause necessarily. The only way that a person truly gets better is that you don't simply focus on the symptoms, on the externals, on the superficial, on the plant rather than what's under the soil, is that you must get to the root of the pain. You may not feel rejection when you're hanging out with your buddies, with your girls, but just walk across the room to some of those folk who look at you funny. And you can find yourself instantly feeling crushed by the pain of rejection. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You may even be saying, amen, hallelujah, smiling, did your holy dance at church, only to arrive at home to total silence, and you find yourself in the tornado that takes you to a place of loneliness where that pain is so great that sometimes it brings you to tears. Now, coming to church is great. You should. You should do your holy dance. Have a good time. But that treats the symptom. Loneliness. There's a, there's a root cause. 
when you play the pain game, you will continue to experience exaggerated pain whenever something or someone, you can be having a great day, and all of a sudden they start talking about a topic or something that happened to you 15 years ago, and the next thing you know, you're furious, and you don't even know why you're angry. And the reason, as we shall see, is that when we play the pain game, we treat symptoms. We don't treat causes. And you may wrap the wound up. I saw a woman uh, five days ago. I got in the room, and she had fallen trying to sit in her wheelchair. And the, uh, the, the, the emergency team, they got in, and they wrapped it up. But the woman was still bleeding when I got there. They did a horrible job leaving that woman bleeding. She needed stitches. Some wounds don't need gauze, don't need a Band-Aid. You need some stitches. You need some rehabilitation. You need some serious medical monitoring. I want you to know when we play the game, the game I'm calling the pain game, we wrap in Band-Aid massive wounds. And, and while those around you may not see you bleeding because you know how to cover it well, wherever you go, whatever relationship you're in, the blood is dripping. You leave blood. You leave blood. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we meet a man that could no longer hide his pain. He went four months pretending like God is good and all the time. God is good. You know how we do. He successfully played the, the pain game behind a mask. But in verse 2, the king, looking at Nehemiah, said, this is nothing but I know you at work, and I know you look good, and others didn't notice this, but I got discernment. I see beyond the surface that something is gravely wrong on the inside. You are in pain. You are in pain. We call people that go to work every day that are strung out on drugs, we call them functional addicts. Yeah, they go to work every day, but they got to. They got a demon. I want you to understand that when we don't address the things that have mortally wounded us, things that haunt us at night, things that cause you to cry. I was driving to the church yesterday, and I started playing, uh, you are my strong tower, you're my... Uh, my solid rock. And I think I know what the world tears flaming down my eyes. Where is this from? And then I thought about my week. <laughs> we want to get beyond being superficial and, and, and how you doing? I'm fine. You're not fine. I see you dripping. 
And I want you to understand that the king knows, the king knows, and there's going to come a time when that bleeding, that ache, that pain, that thing that has wounded you is going to hurt other folks. And we'll talk more about that. But I just want to consider three things with you about playing the pain game. See, some of the stuff that we think that people are doing to us, did, I didn't do, God, Cain, Abel hadn't done anything to Cain. When he murdered his own brother, he, Cain, Abel just went to church. He just gave his offering. Praise the Lord, I gave him a tithe or something. So going home, going to chill, going to relax. The next thing you know, his brother's coming up behind him and slitting his throat. Why would Cain kill Abel? He was not mad. He, it wasn't Abel. It was God that he was mad at. So some of the people that we are thinking responsible for our current situation, when things reoccur, it could go back to your garden. We need to get back to the cause of why we keep experiencing the same kind of pain. What is this chronic issue in our life that the devil is using to cripple us, to chase us from the will of God? That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to chase you from the will of God. God didn't say there wouldn't be a fiery furnace. He just simply said, I'll be in there with you. You, we we want to get out of the fiery furnace. The Lord said, no, I want you to get in this furnace to see that, yeah, there are three were, that were put in, but there's a fourth man in the midst of your fire, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of what should have killed you. I am in your midst. I'm present with you. I want you to understand if Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had not gone through that fire, King Nebuchadnezzar would have never seen the fourth man. <laughs> Sometimes what God is taking you through is really so that others will see the fourth man, that Christ in you. Somebody say amen. amen. What caused Nehemiah's pain, brokenness? What crushed his spirit? What was it that was on the inside that an MRI would never reveal? What has fractured your spirit? What is it that you will not even try again because of what occurred when you tried it the first time? Who put the chain on your leg? Who told you, like God asked Adam and Eve, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that something was wrong with you? Who told you? that what I call good is bad. What caused Nehemiah's pain? In verse 3 of chapter 1, we read, Nehemiah speaking to his relatives who have visited Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence that live in Jerusalem are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates had been burned with fire. Nehemiah was living large. He was living in Susa, the palace 
of the Medo-Persian Empire. In fact, this was after Nebuchadnezzar. This is when Artaxerxes, the king, who's also called Cyrus, the one who the Bible says that God stirred the heart of the king to do what ultimately happens in the book of Nehemiah. He gets a report, even though he's living large, living in the burbs, making good money, dressing in the best of clothes, having attended the finest schools, the king's cupbearer, the king's confidant, the one who actually was so trusted by the king, he tasted the wine before the king. So when the king said, what's wrong with you, man? Your face don't look, I've never seen you look like this. King identified what he thought it was. It wasn't that you're trying to poison me. You're trying to hang in there until I drink. But it was his concern about those who lived in the dangerous parts of Wilmington. Those who lived where I come from in North Philadelphia, 32nd and Dolphin. He said, how are they doing? And here's what I want to suggest to you, the things that give us pain, that wound us, that, that after all of these years of life, you still, if the devil pushed you with a, with a pinky, you'd fall over. What Nehemiah heard broke his spirit. He said, they, they said to me, that those who are living in Jerusalem are in disgrace and in mighty, serious trouble. Here's what the Bible says about the power of words. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but, a per but the perverseness in it breaks a person's spirit. You can break someone by what you say to them. I can still remember the names that I was called. I can still say that many of the things that were said to me, we said, Nick and Stones may break my bones with names. That's a lie. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the heart. I, I've gone into rooms and people say, boy, you've lost weight. And man, you look great. You go to the next one, boy, what's wrong? Boy, you need to go on a diet. I don't understand why you, you just seem to eat everything. And so what we tend to, what the report that we tend to believe is not the one that says you're doing great. We tend to believe the report that says you need to lose 50 pounds. And so the Bible says the perverseness of a tongue can, can, can break the strongest person's heart. It can wound you so deeply that when you look in the mirror, I don't care what everybody else says, but what you see is based on what you heard from your parents. You are ugly. You are dark. You are stupid. You, you should have never come into this world. You are a mistake. That's what you hear and how you Evaluate yourself. While you're living up on the hill with, the, with that car and all of that, people would say that would, would deem you successful. What you hear people say about you can crush you. What you hear people say about others can crush you. I remember <clears throat> at a very difficult time in my life, I was meeting with a, a group of ministers just needing encouragement. And they began to say things about the pastor. First of all, I thought they were the, the, 
the tightest ministers with the pastor. <laughs> and the things that they did, it was like foul. Ministers using profanity. And I'm saying, well, now what makes these ministers think that when we, when we talk and shop, somehow it's okay that we can go there? And so what I said, look, 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 brothers, I, I'm not going to be able to stay for my lunch, but let me just say this. Even if what you're saying about the pastor is true, I can't receive that right now because I need to believe that it's not true because I, I, I'm depending on this guy to help me get out of where I'm, at, from where I'm at. Sometimes you can say something about a leader in the church, and I've been guilty of this. Mad at the pastor on a given Sunday. I know that sermon was about me. <laughs> he only had 4,300 members, but he definitely made that sermon with me in mind. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm that important. And I could say something to my wife that the next time the pastor, I need the pastor to minister to her, she's not going to receive it. Because I have destroyed his reputation by what I said about him to her. There's some things that you should have heard growing up that you never heard. You never heard your dad say, I love you. Or your mother say, I love you. Or you, you're pretty, or you're attractive, or you're intelligent. We all long for that. You never heard your parents say, I love, they love each other. I remember overhearing, was heading back to college, and I'd missed the bus and just needed to get back to school. And if you missed the last bus, you're not getting back. So I needed a ride. And I remember hearing my stepfather say to my mother, he's not my son. That still hurts. That thing, I, was, I heard it. He didn't know I was in the room, and I tried to tip up the step. I literally slipped all the way down to the bottom of the steps. I was devastated by what I heard from someone I love. I love him to this day. I don't know what he meant or why he said it, but I know that it was a dagger in my heart. So some of the things that we've heard can cause us to play the pain, pain game. We don't talk about that. Pastor, here we go. You know, pastors don't share those kind of things. I don't, no, no, no. No. The reason I'm the pastor I am today, because of all of the things that God allowed me to experience. The Bible says that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us that we may comfort one another. There are husbands and wives who refuse to say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm sorry, forgive me. And by the time you get to counseling, because it's never the husband that's asking for counseling. We got it together. We don't need it. Here we go again. I can't be a better husband. I bring money in this place. I take you. Look at the roof over your head. Look at the food you eating. You wouldn't have on the clothes that you wear. You know, it's now you God. You know, I heard that God puts a roof over our head and clothes us. But no, no, no. And, and so by the time the wife gets the brother to commit to counseling because he, he figures this thing is really underwater. <laughs> my, my house is floating down the block. 
they've reached the point of no return. By the time a woman gets her husband to come to counseling, she's already checked out. They're living under the same roof, but they're not together. So what, what he heard, what he heard, what, what he saw caused him pain. Nehemiah saw the suffering of the Jews through the eyes of his relative that shared about the conditions of the wall. Seeing your children make bad decisions over and over again. And the consequences, you can talk until you're blue in the face and tell them, and yet they choose. And watching them literally wreck their lives can cause you pain. Have you ever lost sleep over your children? Have you ever lost sleep over someone that you've been praying about and, and you talk to them and, and they, they, they act like you crazy? Seeing things that you shouldn't have seen. My first camp experience, Christian camp, Camp Golden Slipper. I wonder what, what uh, this no, this wasn't no. This <laughs> actually, actually, this was a, this this wasn't this wasn't a Christian camp. This 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 camp. I went. They actually came into North Philly, and they asked parents, "Do you want to send your kids away to camp for a week?" And our parents were packing our stuff the same day <laughs> and putting us on the bus. And I remember that first night. In the Poconos, it was like 90 that day, and that night it was like 30 degrees, and all my mother had given me was a sheet. <laughs> I watched for a few moments a young boy raped by other boys. Now, I didn't have sense enough to even know that what it, that's what it was. They forcibly held this young man down and a group of them were just laughing, and it was fun. I didn't even know to report it. And I can still see it in my mind after all of these years. What we see can cause us pain. Somebody say amen. I remember... Uh, talking to a young man who really hated his father. And no matter what I tried to do to help him to understand, he said, let me tell you about my father. He said, every time he cheated on my mother, he would take me with him. So she could think that we were spending time together. But in reality, he set me in a room right next to the bedroom where he was committing adultery, and he dared me to tell. Maybe you were taking care of a loved one, and you walked in as they were taking their last breath. I want you to know what you see can be devastating. Let me also add, if you're the last person who sees somebody you love passes, that's a gift from God. That's not meant to torment you. But if you find that you're struggling with it, because sometimes God doesn't want a person to die alone. 
And I say this all the time. If you get there to be with your loved one, it was meant for you to be there. If you can't get there and they pass before you do, God didn't intend for you to be there. People will struggle with guilt. Maybe you saw some pornography for the first time. And 10 years later, you're addicted. And now you are filled with guilt and shame because every opportunity that you get with that cell phone or with that iPad or with your computer, you're not thinking about your wife. You're not thinking about your fiance. You are looking at perversion because of what you saw when you, and I don't think you're ever, ever prepared or capable of watching it without being affected. Kind of quiet. Keep on moving on. Maybe you've grown up around adults who use and abuse drugs openly. That's commonplace now. For, uh, uh, there's a kid who was, took 25 crack vials to school in his book bag. And his father said, just keep them hidden. <laughs> like, that's normal. So if you grow up around seeing that, it seems normal, and, and it makes sense that you will try drugs too, and you won't see anything wrong with indulging in front of your children. And now we've moved from one generation to a second generation, and what we have now is a generational curse based on what you saw. You saw your parents favor one child over another, the one who got all the good grades, or the one who was light-complected, uh, and the one versus the one who was dark-skinned. Back then, if black wasn't proud. Black was ugly. Curly hair and light was good. Now I'm black, and I'm proud. Yeah, Jesus. The black and the berry. <laughs> you know, the black and the berry, the sweet and the juice. I'm thinking, do I look like juice to you? <laughs> so we processed our hair. We bleached our skin. You saw your parents physically fight. That terrorized you. Father and mother, they would physically fight. And we would take off running to our aunt's house. The next day, they'd be hugging and kissing. Some people don't think they're loved until they have a couple hickeys, uh, busted lips. Maybe you were there when your dad packed his bag and he left and he moved across the street with your neighbor's wife, with your neighbor who had children you went to school with. I want you to understand that what you see. Then this is it. You say, well, why are we getting? This is the world. This is where we live. This is how it is. And when the church keeps silent, people die. You got folks in the church going home every day thinking, can I, do, can I kill myself today? And we just talking about, oh, how, how I love Jesus, how good it is to be in the presence of God every day with Jesus, sweeter the day before. It is. Not for everybody. What was done to him caused him pain. Nehemiah was raised away from his family in a foreign country. He was, he, he was born in a foreign country 
under the leadership of Artaxerxes and the, Med the Medo-Persian Empire. It wasn't his choice. Sometimes you, 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 like, you got young men, black men, who are, who are enraged by the fact that they, they grew up in an experience where dad was never there. The Lord, what someone has done to you has left you wounded. When God said, Adam, why did you eat of the forbidden fruit? He said, is that woman? You did it to me by giving me her. If I had a better wife, she'd been more considerate. I would have never done it. <laughs> so sometimes we blame people for our pain because what we have experienced and sometimes what they did was intentional. And so what we see, what we've experienced, what was done to us, and then finally what we think. Nehemiah said when, when, he, when, he, when he reflected on what was going on in Jerusalem, he began to pray. And it's always good to pray, amen, amen. about what you went through. And he began to say in, in verse 5, then he said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible. You need to read this, and this is the kind of prayer sometimes you need to pray back to God when you're going through. He said, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes uh, up open to our to hear our prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your for your servants the people of Israel i confess the sins of the israelite so what nehemiah thought and rightfully so that the reason why the walls were torn down that people were in disgrace by the people were vulnerable is because god was some of the stuff that we we're going through right now that's hurting us god is dealing with you he said, we're in this predicament because we have sinned. The Bible says that I chasten those who I love. But sometimes we actually, when we're in pain, the way we think is viewed from the vantage point, from the lenses of our hurt. We are viewing what is happening to us through our emotions and not through the grid of the word of God. And so while Nehemiah was right, God was judging, often when we're feeling our pain, we are, we, we are evaluating things from not the perspective of God's word, but we're evaluating it from the perspective of how we feel. The world must, the, the world, it must be going to end because I feel like it's going to end. I know the world is flat. Why? Because I feel like it. I know she don't like me. Why? Because... I, I just feel that she don't. It can't, be, it can't be untrue because your feelings are so strong. Now, when I say to folks, validate your feelings. I am not going to deny how strongly you feel about this, but that doesn't make it factual because you feel this way. The Bible says the heart, your emotions are deceitful above all things, and our emotions, apart from the Holy Spirit, are desperately wicked. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and meekness. And the Bible says, against such, we need to be operating out of the role 
or the mindset, the, perspe- the perception when it comes to our feelings, we need to put them under the, the, the microscope of the Bible. Does my feelings line up to what God says? David said in his thinking, he said, when I saw how the wicked were prospering, and I see the president of the United States lying and obstructing justice in the church. This is a heartbreak. The church, the Christian church, these great preachers say nothing from the pulpit. John the Baptist stood up and told the truth about incest and adultery, and it cost him his life. Jesus stood up and told the truth, and it cost him his life. The church cannot remain silent when evil is so prevalent around us. We want to be comfortable. We want to be light. We don't want anybody. We're not, God didn't cause us to be political. Yes, he did. But our, our kingdom is not of this world. But when a lie it, it occurs, we have to stand up and say it's a lie. I ain't going to vote. Vote for them evil. No, there's relative. There's levels of evil. The Bible talks about there's different levels in hell. And so David said, when I saw how the wicked were prospering, they lived longer. They, 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 they had the best medical coverage and, and all kinds of tax breaks. He said, my feet almost slipped. I almost backslid. I was about to leave the church and go back out to hustling. He said, when I saw how that was occurring, I want you to know when you are in pain because you think something's not fair, Your thoughts can become distorted. Your thoughts can become carnal and dark. That's why we don't want to play with carnal thinking, because you don't know how far it'll take you. I want you to understand the worst kind of hurt that you can experience, aside from family, it's church hurt. In Psalm 55, 12 through 14, David said, if it... If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a, if a foe was rising against me, I could have hidden. But it was you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed the sweet, sweet fellowship of the house of God, and we walked about among as worshipers when the church hurts you. That's why we got to go out of our way to be like Jesus. We should go out of our way to reach the Bible. said The strong should bear the weakness, the infirmities of the weak. We ought to care enough to reach out and to help people because when we wound, when we kill our wounded, then the devil gets a double victory. Somebody say amen. So we see what he saw, what he heard, what he thought, what was done to him. Those are the things that caused that that pain. That doesn't mean that Nehemiah, he went to work every day. Nobody would have noticed it. But somebody, when somebody cares enough about you, they know you're smiling, but that smiling face is telling lies. Somebody say amen. Now, why is playing the pain game so dangerous? 
I'm glad you asked. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, this is a verse you want to write this down. Act like I'm Minister Haman. Write it down. And the, no, Moses speaking, by the inspiration of Moses, and the people can hear it. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The reason why pain that we don't deal with is so dangerous. Let me share. First of all, it don't matter if Jesus is preaching. If you're hurting, can I feed you? No. Can I give you some money? No. Why? Because I'm hurting. If you're in pain, you don't want to hear nobody preaching. <laughs> you don't want no uh, soul food. You can have that after, you feel, after you're feeling better. Have you ever had a, a, a toothache and somebody said, hey, let's go out to the movies. Come on, let's, 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 let's go hang out and throw the football around. Wait a minute. You can't hear God when your wound is bleeding. That wound demands attention. That's why it's dangerous because you can't help nobody when you're bleeding. Pain from your past prevents you from obeying God in the present. The Bible said that Moses spoke to them, but they did not listen. They did not obey. Why did this harsh slavery bother them in the present? Because when you've been hurt in the past in a relationship, you don't want to try again. I went down that road. I don't want no man. I'll try a woman this time. I don't want no woman. I'm going to try a man. A man knows a man. That's kind of where this thing can go. You've been hurt so many times by lying, cheating, conniving, manipulating men that you just say, I, I'll give up on, I just want to be loved. Now, we know that's perverted love, but it's still an imitation. And we often will settle for substitutes. We're moving on. We're moving on. So pain from the past will prevent you from obeying God in the present. Pain keeps you in bondage to those who hurt you. When you don't get healed, that husband who says, we're not doing this, we're doing that, what you see is your dad. And so your rebellion is really not against your husband. You are really angry that he is trying to act like what you believe this is the way my father acted, and I didn't like it then. I was a child then, but I'm a grown woman with my own money, with my own job, with my, a better car than yours, more friends than you, been more places than you, more credentials than you. And by the way, I did it my way. So the people who have hurt you, when something similar occurs again, you feel it all over again, but now it's compounded because it's a new experience plus what you carried into the present. And it really isn't somebody in the present that is doing to you what happened to you in the past. That was malicious. That was conspiracy. That was, that was dull. That was foul. But, but, but it feels that way in the present because you were never healed from the past. People can say things to me today. 
My mother used to say, I'd go and say, how do I look? She said, you look good. And I come back, how do I look? I told you you look good. I come back about five times in the same outfit. She said, you believe any, and she put the explicatives in there, you believe anything that somebody tell you. What I'm saying is that some of the things that happened to us in the past will devastate us in the present when we experience something similar. It's not the same, but it feels like it. And so the real issue is, have you dealt with your pain? You've dealt with the symptoms, but what about the pain? What about the cause? Because if you don't, you're going to be acting like Cain. You're going to be killing all the Abels in your life. The people who really love you, the people who really love God. Pain can destroy every relationship because it blocks you from ever loving or trusting anybody. A lot of men aren't going to, they don't want to make no commitment. And some of it is, ladies, stop giving it up. Why would he commit to you when he can get everything for, from you without making a commitment to you? But commitment is, is scary, especially when you tried in the past and someone stepped on your feelings. You looked out the window, and there she was with your best friend. Lord have mercy. In the name of Jesus, <laughs> I plead the blood. The blood of Christ be against you. Strike that thing down. Loose every demon from the pit. <laughs> May the floods of Noah. <laughs> and so you can't get close to anybody because you don't trust nobody. Because you got this bleeding wound. Everybody's up to something. What you, what you really want from me? I know you got a, some scheme, some, some angle. Everybody doesn't have an angle. Everybody doesn't have a scheme. That's where you came from. But that's not where God wants to take you. Pain can cause you to treat your symptoms without dealing with the root problem. When you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, you know what Nehemiah did? The Bible said, when I heard these things, I wept for many days. I mourned. I fasted. And those are, he treated the symptoms. He prayed. He fasted. You should come to church. You should pray and ask people to pray about. And if that, but if that's all you do, you haven't dealt with the cause. Those walls are still torn down. You were still molested. He still abandoned you. She still cheated on you, and so he dealt with the symptoms through prayer. We can do that. We get all caught up in religious activities, and we join this ministry, we join that ministry, and then we, we go on all day. And then by the time you get home, you've, you're exhausted. But the first day you don't have something to do, guess what? You are in the depths of depression. You have to deal with the cause of your pain. And filling your life with busyness doesn't take it away. 
It masks it. It's symptoms treatable. It treats the symptoms, not your cause. You got all that in you? Don't get married because you're going to take that rottenness. It's a rottenness. It's a, it's a, it's a root of bitterness, and it's contagious, and it will hurt people that are around you. Paul said, I prayed three times that the Lord would remove the thorn. Three times. And he said, well, God said, my grace, the thing that you're running from, the thing that has hurt you, if you understand it, that God somehow allowed it. You know, he said, he could have made a way for you to escape. The fact that you're still yet alive, you should be dead. You should be crazy. You should have about 10 bodies on your your account. But because you're still yet here, he spared you. So that the, 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 the power of God, he said, my grace is sufficient so that my strength in spite of your pain, would be perfected in your weakness. Now, let's talk about what to do. Anybody want to know how to get victory here? I say to people all the time, Christian, I'm trying not to cry. I don't want to cry. I know he's going to be gone, and we've been married for 57 years. And I say, look. If I'm dying and my kids and my wife are sitting there and nobody's crying, I told you this before, I'm going to stop dying. I'm going to get up off of my sick bed and I'm going to swing my ID and slap all of them. Somebody better be crying. I know where he's going. Yes, Jesus knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, but even Jesus cried. She's being so strong. She didn't shed a tear. Maybe she didn't love him. Maybe she counted on the insurance. <laughs> uh, yeah, if my wife ain't crying, she didn't love me because she better be crying. You don't have to cry all the time, you know, but I'll know. <laughs> I'll hang around until I get enough tears. I say, all right, it's ready. time to go to heaven. I said, all right, guys, you can stop crying now. I'm going to die. Now, how to stop playing the pain game? Remember, masking your pain does not remove it. Pretending that you're cool, I'm strong, I'm a man, I'm my. No, you're not. You're a big kid ready to cry as soon as somebody said, give me your lunch money. You still remember when they took your lunch money. We have to pretend to be something that we're not so people will never know. Because if they really knew what I was like, if they really knew how afraid I am, if they really knew they wouldn't want to be with me, they wouldn't love me the way I am. Remember, the king knows. The king, God knows. You ain't tricking God. The king knew Nehemiah. He said, you have never been around me before with this kind of countenance. Who knows you well enough to say, what's wrong? Uh-uh, uh-uh. We, we, we going into church, but come on. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, come here, come here. Do you care enough 
about people. And, and, and it's like, how many times do I have? How many times does God have to deal with you? As long as it takes, we should be willing to work with people until they get where they should be in the Lord. That's how the love of God looks. Somebody say amen. amen. Remember the king knows. Listen at this in Proverbs 20. We're going to get, get done. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. People who know you can go into the deep parts of you. And they can, you, you, you just said, she said, what's wrong? And because you know they care, before you know, you're just telling them everything. The floodgates, and you just literally want to fall in their arms, and you're so grateful that somebody cared enough. Remember that you must choose to be a victor rather than a victim. Nehemiah was going through, but he worked every day. The king said, I've never seen you like this. Some of us will lick our wounds and use every excuse under the sun why we're mean, why we're disobedient, why we're unfaithful. You don't know what they did. You don't know how we... Nehemiah didn't do it. He kept going to work. He kept trying to do his job. What has happened to you is no excuse for you to be unspiritual. You call that demon out. No, you're not going to treat me this way because you upset because of what happened to you when you were, when you were growing up. Now, I ain't do that. I am not going to pay for every man's sin. I know a man who did. His name is Jesus. He don't need me to get on the cross a second time. Remember that hurting people, what? You're going to be dripping blood all over people. You, 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 you can't be walking and living in pain, and it doesn't hurt those who are closest to you. The devil is a liar. You can't do anything of significance when you are a walking, bleeding sore. I'm almost done. Remember to ask the right person for help. Isn't it interesting how the devil will set stuff up for whatever you went through, and if you're not in the spirit, he's going to make sure that you end up talking to the right people in the church who feel the same way you do about how terrible they are. <laughs> and it's in the workplace, too. You're going to go to the water cooler just at the right time. you mad at the boss and 10 other people at the water cooler. And then the devil, what he does, he just piles on. That ain't God. That's the enemy knowing that if he could just keep pushing you just a little further, that he can get you to the place of no return. And he will use anyone and anybody that he can to get you outside of the will of God for your life. You need to help get help from the right people. People are going to call what your stuff is wrong, if it's wrong, or tell you you're right, and then direct you back to the person. If the person doesn't direct you back to who is, who's offended you, then they're not biblical. They're just being newsy. That's gossip. Direct them back. And guess what? They're going to stop talking to you quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because that's not counseling. 
The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. You tell them what, yeah, yep, I hear you, I feel you, been through the same thing. Here's what we're going to do. Let's call him right now. Oh, well, you know, I didn't think we had to get all serious about it like that. No, we do, because we Christians. Here's the last thing. Remember, God may never fully remove your pain, but he'll give you power over it. There's some things God will let stay in your life. Stand with me. Here's what Nehemiah didn't know. When he got that news about what was going on in Jerusalem, hundreds of miles away, that 70 years earlier, God had spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, a king from the south, the Babylonians are going to swoop in and it's going to, going to des desecrate the temple, tear the walls down, and then deport most of the citizens from Jerusalem. The group of, that was a part of that was Daniel, Meshach, and Shadrach, and Abednego. Seventy years later, Daniel was praying for 21 years. Or while Daniel's in that, uh, Babylonian captivity, he's praying. And God says to Daniel, I'd already answered your prayers 21 days earlier, but the devil prevented my angel. Because what Daniel was about to hear was going to be about the end times. He said, you know, I gave a prophecy to Jeremiah 70 years ago. We're in the 69th year of that. In the 70th year, I am going to stir up the heart of the king. That's not even king yet. <laughs> and he is going to be my vessel, not even saved, but I'm going to work on his heart in such a way. Now, how did he do that? Through Nehemiah's pain. Now Nehemiah is in the presence of the king. He don't know nothing about no 70-year prophecy. He don't know nothing about the children of Israel returning to Jerusalem. All he knows is that he's hurting, and he knows that he needs to tell the right person. And the king says, how can I help you? <laughs> God was staring up the wings of the king. Through the pain, everything that you've gone through, the things that God has allowed, he is using it to stir up what he's about to do. And when Nehemiah told the king that I want to go back and build the walls, he said, what else do you need? It's done. And so 50,000 Jews... In the 70th year of Jeremiah's prophecy, they're making their way, thinking it's about the wall, thinking it's about security. But no, it's about God standing over his word and keeping his truth. But how did he do it? Through his pain. What you running from, God is trying to use it for your good and his glory. This may be about a generation. This may be about walls that have destroyed for years that generational curse finally being broken. Don't play the pain game. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name.